Good afternoon. Welcome, my friends. I am so excited to introduce the new summer term 2021 at Signum University. The faculty have joined me this afternoon to tell you all about what we're looking forward to. I'm Sparrow Alden, and I am broadcasting from traditional Kawasabnaki lands, and I am just thrilled that everyone was able to make it. All right. We're offering four different courses this summer, exploring Star Trek, Introduction to Old English, Tolkien's Poetry, and Classical Myths and Legends. And I am absolutely delighted to welcome to our gathering the Star Trek team, which will be Amy Sturgis, Jessica O'Brien, and Sarah Brown. And the Introduction to Old English team, that's Nelson Gehring. Unfortunately, Paul Peterson could not make it today. But so Nelson, I want you to carry the, the full gravity of <laughs> Old English for the entire team today. You're it. Um, Tolkien's poetry, Sarah Brown is doing double duty this summer. And so she's going to be on for poetry and the classical myths and legends dynamic duo of Gabriel Schenk and Larry Swain are excited to bring you back or take you, excuse me, to take you back in time over 2000 years to some amazing and classic stories. So what I would like to know from each of you is where, first, where are you broadcasting from? And second, is there something that you have learned or, or, or gained as a habit during this pandemic, which is going to stay with you, which you consider a benefit? There have been so many sad things, right? I want to acknowledge the sad things, but you guys are educators and you see learning opportunities everywhere. I would love to know what you have learned that you're going to be able to carry forward. And please, Amy Sturgis, will you lead us off? Thank you so much. I am coming to you from uh, Bristol, Virginia, in the Appalachian Mountain Highlands. And uh, I hate to sound trite. Uh, I'm going to be a cliche here, but I actually finally made uh, sourdough bread and now I feed my little sourdough starter and I, I am a baker now. And that's something I've wanted to do for a long time. So I, I realize that that just plays into every internet meme there is. But I now have uh, sourdough making capabilities, which uh, I did not uh, previously have. So there's, there's my accomplishment. <laughs> I absolutely love this. And whether it's a meme or not, you get bread. So right. everybody kind of wins. Fantastic. Absolutely right. <laughs> Amy is an intellectual historian. She focuses on fantasy, science fiction, literature of indigenous cultures, and, and don't have my script in front of me, guys. So I'm going to start making up wildly crazy things. When I start quoting plot lines from Mrs. Polifax, you'll know I've gone off the rails. However, what we do know is that 
Amy has been part of the Starship Sofa podcast. She's an editor. She's a writer. She publishes academic stuff and is one of the most energetic and friendly recommender of books. Right? If you ever sit down for lunch with Amy and say, I'm looking for this kind of book, you'll go away with a very long list. <laughs> Thank you. Also living down south, and I think still near Amy, Jessica O'Brien, not only active in literature in her academic career, but also in library science. I discovered this about you yesterday. It's very exciting. Jessica, where are you broadcasting from and what did the pandemic bring you? Hello, I am in Hickory, North Carolina. Um, Amy keeps trying to move away from me. So she started out here and then went to Tennessee, Kentucky, just kind of traveled around, but it's closer now in Virginia. <laughs> and um, what did I learn? I, I got my knitting back out. So I teach myself to knit pretty much like every three years. So this was the third year and it gave me the opportunity to relearn. So I'm working on a blanket because that's pretty much all I can manage right now. <laughs> just really long projects. Fantastic. Thank you so much for picking up the needles. It's a very good thing. Nelson Goering is, has been with the Old English and Germanic Philology program from the day it hit the ground at Signum University. He has studied, um, well, you know, name the language from Northwest Europe and hand him a newspaper in it, and he's good. He, he is your docent if you need to walk around the year 500 in Europe. Nelson, where are you broadcasting from today, and what has the pandemic brought to you? Uh, I'm broadcasting from Ghent, Belgium today. Um, and uh, well, from what I've learned, I, I don't know if anyone has seen that meme going around where you've got uh, a sort of a picture of like a medieval monk sitting there and it's, uh, you know, philologist before the pandemic. And then it shows philologist after the pandemic and just shows the same image of the, you know, hold up with your books with uh, nothing much going on. I kind of feel a little bit like that. Um, so uh, I'm not sure I've really got anything I can point to uh, that's, uh, you know, new scale or anything like that. I've just, uh, I've, I've, I've uh, been a little lame and not taken, taken opportunity, the opportunity to develop myself in that respect. Cruising forward. Fantastic. Um, I'm going to move on to speaking for the entire Tolkien's poetry staff, because she is the entire Tolkien's poetry staff. Sarah Brown, um, her PhD thesis was in alchemy. So we know that she is a most magical person. She... <laughs> She is the coordinator of the thesis program at Signum University. And as such, she has the marvelous task of matching up students who have a burning curiosity and idea with the thesis director who's going to nurture that curiosity and help herd, is that the right word? Guide it into a complete and fulfilling project. Sarah, where are you today? And tell us about your pandemic experience. 
<laughs> I like the word herding, by the way, because herding and cats often comes to mind with that particular job, although it's a fabulous privilege, right? So yes, Nosweta, good evening from Cymru, from North Wales, where I am sitting in evening sunshine, which is kind of amazing, although it's only about five degrees out there. So evening sunshine plus chilly, but not quite sparrows, 10 inches of snow, that's for sure. But anyway, yes, so um, this is where I am. And what did the pandemic bring me? Well, I'm going to be a real soppy doodah right now and tell you okay. that the pandemic brought me my daughter, who should have been at university. Um, and she was she started last year. And of course, in March of her first year away at university, she had to come home. And she brought with her her boyfriend, who I met on the day he moved in. So that could have been awkward, but worked out very, very well, because he's lovely, just as well. Um, a, a tent in the garden was an option. Um, so <laughs> he was with us for nearly four months at that point. They managed to go back to university. And then at Christmas, they both came back here. So actually, Mama has had loads more time with her daughter than she otherwise would have had, which I know is a little selfish because Emily really would have been much better at university, but Mum enjoyed it. So that's what I got out of the pandemic. And sourdough, because my husband is the sourdough master. Oh, okay, okay, a little bread theme. At this point, it's it's just a motif, but maybe if we have more bread breakers in the room, it will become a theme. It could leaven the discussion, yes. I, see, I'm getting a rise out of you already. 20 <laughs> points to Team Kumri. All right, my friends. <laughs> Larry Swain is a classicist. He is an academic writer. He has, um, Larry, we have never met in person. We have not. And I don't even have the ability to make, I could make up stuff that sounds like fiction, but beyond <laughs> your deep interest, we wanna know where are you from? What have you learned from the pandemic? And maybe a word or two about your academic passions because I was not able to provide them to the conversation. Oh, well, academic passions are hard to describe because I, I, I tend to be passionate about everything. So ah. uh, oh, <laughs> officially, I'm a medievalist, but uh, I chose medieval studies because it's in the middle. So I could do classical stuff, but I could also do modern stuff um, and 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 do the stuff that's in the middle. So I'm, I'm happy as a clam. Um, <laughs> right now, I uh, live and work in Bemidji, Minnesota, which is way up. Uh, in northern Minnesota on Highway 2. If anybody knows Highway 2, it's the, the first highway uh, south of Canada. Uh, so we're we're way up in the north here. And you're welcome for the snow because we had that storm on Tuesday and Wednesday. It's set at your direction, so you're welcome. Uh, with that, pandemic-wise, I, I, I'm kind of with Nelson uh, in that, you know, the picture of being with the books. And, you know, this has suited me too well uh, to, to be in self-quarantine. Uh, so I'm a little bit nervous as we reopen of, of what that means in terms of, you know, like having to interact with people in the flesh. I'm not sure I can handle that. <laughs> no, you don't have to at all. Um, but let's inquire of your teammate, Gabriel Schenk, who lives really and truly, I am not making this up, 
near Oxford University. He takes walks around beautiful places that you have heard of in fairy tales. Um, oh my goodness. He is a writer. He is a professor. He does things like establish lecture series at famous colleges like Pembroke. Did I get that correctly, Gabriel? Yeah, it's Pembroke. Uh, there's a t the Tolkien Lecture Series, which I helped uh, found and uh, uh, help organize. Tell us, um, what has the pandemic taught you? Um, well, I realized during the pandemic that I had become almost entirely digital. Uh, I was like the character Cyber Cyborg in the film Justice League in that I was doing all my work digitally on my computer and then I was finishing work and playing video games on my computer. And quite often the video games I play are very similar to work as well. So I thought <laughs> that's probably a bit too digital. I should go a little bit analog, but I thought, well, what's the analog version of a video game? And I had some old um, Warhammer models back from back in the day, from the 1990s. Uh, and I thought, um, I've got quite into watching people uh, paint Warhammer and uh, put together Warhammer models on YouTube. It's actually, there's some fantastic YouTube channels that do this and it's very kind of interesting. Uh, so I thought I'd give it a go myself, even though I haven't really um, done anything with miniatures or anything like that uh, for about 20 years. And I dug out an old manticore from the mid nineties. I bought this, I think in 1995, when I was about eight years old, it was a bit beyond me at the time. Um, but I dug it out and here it is. Um, so this is a, a Dieter Helschnicht uh, manticore and it doesn't look impressive, but I used very strong chemicals to rub off the little bits of paint that I had stuck on as an eight year old. And I drilled into it and I inserted pins and I used super glue and I used a sharp knife to file off mold lines. And I used uh, this thing called green stuff to fill in gaps. And I've just had some fun doing something physical with my hands, uh, something that's kind of monstrous as well and, and related to mythology. So kind of like part of my area of research, I suppose. Um, and yeah, it's been, it's been lots of fun to do something uh, physical for a change. And uh, I haven't yet painted it, but I'm thinking about paint schemes and things like that. So it's been, it's been quite good to do something um, analog. Fantastic. And it's and literally a quarter of a century after I bought it. So there you go. <laughs> well done. Finally, using up materials have been taking up space. To answer the Takako's question, whom am I broadcasting with? I live in a one-room cabin with my wife, my daughter, and my two dogs, all of whom have, if I'm making strange facial expressions, it's because I'm communicating with my wonderful family who are all here in the same room with me, which is great. No, you may not use the blender until three o'clock. Hi, family. Everyone's waving. Okay, very good. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. First off, exploring Star Trek team. Most important, what are you excited for? And second, what can the students expect for assignments? I had one wonderful person who is a little bit worried, who would love to be calm by learning what is ahead for them. 
What are you excited for? And what can students expect? Well, for excitement factor, I'm excited about all of it. I've been a part of Star Trek, or Star Trek has been a part of me all of my life. And uh, what I'm really excited about is going through chronologically and putting the pieces together. It can be very easy to fall into a series if you go back and re-binge it or even really pull apart an episode. Uh, but what I'm, I'm really psyched to do with the class is uh, pull back and look at the larger questions that uh, are posed by Star Trek, the, the through lines that connect all of the different series and uh, other forms of Star Trek storytelling, and be able to see some big patterns and, uh, and things that are um, added by each iteration of Star Trek storytelling. Each part of Star Trek has something to add to a larger conversation. And I'm excited about engaging in that conversation with the class and uh, looking at uh, big picture, big idea um, topics while also getting to do some deep dives as well. So we'll mix it up a bit. Uh, as far as what happens in a live class and in this class, for example, from my perspective, uh, I'll be giving talks twice a week, uh, 90 minutes each, and students are welcome to attend live. And if they don't want to attend live or can't attend a particular uh, class presentation, they can go and watch that on video because everyone is recorded and put up for easy access. But if they attend live, they can ask questions or make comments during my lecture, and I will stop and I will respond to those uh, during the lecture or at the end. And if they come to a lecture uh, asynchronously and watch it uh, on their own time, through video, then they can uh, contact me with their questions and comments, and I will respond to those in the next class meeting. And uh, I'll also turn this over to uh, my wonderful preceptors, my partners in this adventure, uh, to talk more about the assignments that will go along uh, with the class. Jess, how about you? What, how, what kind of assignments go along with your section of the class? That's a great question, Sparrow. Um, so as far as assignments go, we in the past have had um, papers, you know, you take a topic and write a paper on it and then have that drafted and then I'd look at that and hand it back to you. There's still going to be some iteration of that. I'll tell you too that my section will have different, um, Sarah and I haven't talked about it yet, but I'm guessing different um, assessment methods, so different assignments. So, you know, maybe she'll be able to tell you something a little bit different than what I'm doing. Um, but I, I'm open to suggestions, honestly. I'm trying to look at new ways in order for you to demonstrate your learning. So we have three learning objectives, which are very, very broad of, of what we want you to get out of the class. And there's many, many, many different ways that you can demonstrate those learnings. So something that Dr. Sturgis and I had talked about earlier in the week that I think would be fascinating is, you know, Star Trek is over 65 years in the making. And, um, she had suggested in talking about, you know, if there was a, a museum or if you were to curate, let's say, an exhibit 
maybe in a storefront and you had a minimal amount of space, what would you include and why would you include it? And why is it important? And what does it say about Star Trek? What does it say about the time it was made? What does it say about now? And, and maybe looking at that rather than, you know, taking a topic and you're writing a paper. So if you, if you are in my preceptor session um, and you're worried about the assignments, please write to me because we can talk about that. Um, before the class starts, because again, I'm still finalizing what those assignments are going to look like, and I am more than happy to have your input and invite your input into what those would look like, um, and to co-construct what that will look like too. Sara? Sara, yeah. Okay, so um, like Jess, um, I want to have an assignment that takes that kind of holistic view of Star Trek. And that's what I envision for the first assignment will be something like, you know, looking at that first question in week one, for example, why should we explore Star Trek? So exploring the whole importance of Star Trek as a cultural event, if you like. So I would like to have that as the first assignment. The uh, main paper, because there will be a main paper too for me, um, that will be the choice of the student, something in particular about what has been explored. It could be a particular series or it could be a particular concept or a particular theme, whatever particularly, lots of particularlies in these sentences, it's getting a little bit too much. Um, what really fires you about Star Trek, that's what I will invite you to explore as your second paper. Um, that's a lot of writing. So I like to mix it up with a lot of um, presenting as well. Uh, and so there will be a final exam because there's always a final exam, but I don't want another written thing. You've already done the writing. What I greatly prefer for a final exam is an oral presentation, like giving a paper at a conference. And again, that'll be something based on something that you have become really fired up about, um, about Star Trek and that you will present to me and to the audience as if it is a short, it's not like an hour or anything like that, it's not like Dr. Sturgis with her 90 minutes, we're talking about 15 to 20 minutes, a presentation of a short conference style paper as your final exam. Um, and uh, in the past I've found students really get a lot out of doing that uh, because they get to explore something uh, and sound really enthusiastic while they're talking about it and really throw that out to their fellow classmates and enjoy that experience. Um, and to practice that, we tend to have little mini moments during the 12 weeks where each person in the class will have the opportunity to uh, lead some of the class discussion with a, a mini presentation and um, like a, a gathering of questions that you will then direct the class towards, that sort of thing. So I like my classes to be quite interactive. Um, I don't really want to be the person who tells you what to think. I want to be the person who enables you to formulate your own thoughts. Um, and I like as much discussion and interaction uh, as we can possibly get into the classes. So whereas we have to do certain amounts of, um, you know, assessment stuff because it's a master's degree, I don't want that to be the be all and end all of this course. Because if you don't get to the end of the 12 weeks thinking, wow, that was such fun, I want to do the next one, then we sort of failed. And I don't think that that is the main aim of any course. We want everyone to complete a course thinking that was absolutely fantastic 
what's the next thing? Sign me up. So, um, yeah, we, we'll get you doing your assessments, but let's have some fun along the way. That's what I say. And as for what I'm looking forward to, well, yeah, everything, because Star Trek, um, I get to feed my little geek soul. And I have been looking forward to this course since I first heard that Dr. Sturgis was going to be doing it for us. And I am like a kid at Christmas. So there you go. I'm really looking forward to that. I mean, what a follow up after the Star Wars course. So, yay. That's Absolutely. all for me. It's going to be so exciting. I do want to make a note that Star Trek is going to have a slightly adjusted start time. Mm. Everyone who has registered has been put in the asynchronous discussion board where you write posts. And all your information about the small adjustment is going to be in that asynchronous discussion board. So please check your Sigma email, join the discussion board to keep track of all the updates. Uh, we do have a comment, Gabriel, from Matt Muller, who says, Ref Warhammer, in the grim darkness of the far future, there is only war. I think friendship has just been achieved. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. And everyone else, please feel free to send your questions and comments in through the question box. All righty. Nelson Gehring, Old English. I have heard it is the gateway to a myriad of wonders. Tell us, what are you excited for this term? And then I know that the format of a language course is very different from a literature course. Would you just sketch the outline of that as well? Yep. Uh, well, there's a lot to look forward to with Old English. Um, it's the language of excellent poetry, like Beowulf. It's probably the most famous thing. Um, so this is this is the this is the early period of the English language, sort of 700 to 1100. Uh, we're talking about so early medieval English. Uh, there's a very rich body of poetry. We will look at uh, some of that. We'll look at just a little taste of Beowulf. Although Beowulf is another class properly. We're sort of building up to Beowulf, and we'll read lots of other good poetry along the way. Elegiac poetry like the Wanderer, heroic poetry like the Battle of Malden, all sorts of really uh, good and, and fun stuff. Uh, learning Old English is also um, an excellent way to learn more about modern English. You, it's, a, it's sort of the um, way, way to get into learning about the history of English, how the English language has changed over time. And you'll come out knowing not just about English, you know, a thousand years ago, but also have a better appreciation for what the language is like today and how it, how it got there. Uh, and then beyond that, it's uh, an excellent, uh, probably for, for English speakers, it's the, the best gateway into uh, Germanic philology uh, more broadly. So if you want to go on and learn, read Norse sagas eventually and learn Old Norse, uh, which I highly recommend you do, uh, uh, if you've learned, taken Old English first, you'll have a huge leg up when you go to try and tackle Old Norse, which is a quite, quite a closely related language. Um, and same, same for Old High German and Old Saxon and Old Frisian and all these other uh, wonderful early medieval languages. So Old English is, is a great place to start. Um, for the class itself, the uh, general structure we, we do is the first half of the class is sort of uh, really sort of easing into the language, um, finding out what the nuts and bolts, uh, how, how things work. Um, and then we, we try and build up to reading texts as quickly as we can. 
Um, so we will we will look at a good deal of, um, of, of original Old English texts over the course of this class, uh, especially in the second half. We'll look we'll we'll look at a number of uh, of these poems. Like I said, the Malden, um, uh, the Wanderer, uh, uh, Battle of Brunanburg, Cadman's Hymn, uh, a whole a whole roster of of, of uh, excellent uh, shorter Old English poems. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Nelson. And folks who are considering the Introduction to Old English course, the format this term will be some pre-recorded lectures with Michael Drought, and then twice a week meeting in your small group live with your preceptor to go over the details in the text, the homework at, at the different levels as the term continues. So it's a very interactive immersive experience an awful lot of fun while nelson was speaking dr sturgis amy a question came in for you which incarnation of star trek is your favorite um, that's a tough one that's a trick one um i love whichever star trek i'm watching at the time to tell you the truth i i there are i have favorite characters and i have favorite episodes and i have favorite themes and they're none of them are in the same series so uh so it's uh, what i like particularly about star trek is that each series each incarnation has its own strengths and its own things to say and so uh, i like focusing on uh, the big picture and whatever it is that I'm, I'm into that week or watching it at any given time is where my heart is. So what can I say? I love it all. Perfect answer. We love that. And we have two questions coming in from potential Old English students who say, what will the assignments be like? Is it just one big paper translation thing at the end? Is there weekly homework? If you're walking into a brand new language for the very first time, um, how is it okay to make mistakes? Nelson, would you please say something encouraging and calming and hopeful? Uh, it's not just okay to make mistakes. You you have to make mistakes. If you're not making mistakes, you're not trying to learn the language. Uh, you know, it, 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 mistakes are are inevitable part of learning any language. Um, and it's how you learn. You know, that you just you, you you make a mistake and then that then and you make a mistake again and then you make a mistake again and at some point you know it it, it sticks and there's a there's a feedback loop that eventually kicks in and you start and you start uh, correcting those things. Um, uh, as far as the assignments go, uh, so it's uh, it might vary a little bit by preceptor session, as with other classes. But the um, uh, the basic idea is um, that so it will be focusing more on smaller assignments. So it's not going to be a big research paper or anything, because the point isn't to, to do a research paper. The point is to learn the, the language. Um, so it'll be focused on sort of small. It'll be some exercises and things like that uh, to to help you get to grips with the language. Uh, but really what it's going to, the, the heart of it is what we're really trying to build up to is, as, as quickly as we can is reading, uh, reading Old English. So it's going to be, you're going to be working through first very simple, uh, you know, uh, sort of constructed sentences 
and then working more and more towards actual, you know, real medieval sentences, uh, and then and then whole poems eventually. Um, and we, you know, work on reading them, uh, understanding them, uh, discussing them, trying to figure out what's going on, uh, trying to figure out how the language works, uh, seeing seeing what doesn't make sense, and trying to figure out why it doesn't make sense. There's there's always a lot of that in in any learning any language. Um, um, and uh, then um, you know, by the end of it, you'll you'll have uh, a lot of practice reading reading old English texts, and you'll be you know, ready to go on to do something like like uh, like the Beowulf class, for instance, uh, later on, just to pick yeah. an example entirely at random. Oh, I love that. I love that. Okay. So the Tolkien's poetry class is back to the literature format, but it's a flex course. Mm -hmm. First, Sarah Brown, what does it mean that it's a flex course? And then what are you excited about? Okay, so a flex course is one where all of the lectures are already available. So if you're signing up for Tolkien's Poetry, you can start watching the lectures as soon as you like. Um, they will be there and available for you. If you are, a, you know, Mrs. Keene and you want to watch lots and lots of lectures in one week and you've got lots of time to do that, you can literally watch five or six lectures in a week if you wish, because it's flexible. The only thing that we ask is that you have at least watched the lectures that you need to have watched for each of the classes, which are not flexible. They will be one particular hour on one particular day with yours truly. So you will need to make sure that you have watched those, but it's flexible in that the lectures were recorded a little while ago by Dr. Olson. And so they are available to you to access. So that's what it means by a flexible course in that sense. Um, it also means that those who are taking it as um, auditors, that uh, even though you're, you know the ones who aren't discussion auditors, if you are just taking it because you want to watch the lectures, again with that flexibility, watch one a week, watch six a week, however much you want to do, whatever fits in with your particular life, because it's flexible. Um, so, you know, it's particularly good for those who aren't attending the uh, the discussion groups that you can really fit it around whatever your commitments are for that week. So that's the flexibility bit. What am I looking forward to? Yes. I find that with Tolkien's poetry, people tend to discount it. They tend to skip over it. When they're reading The Lord of the Rings, for example, so many people I know will be going through The Lord of the Rings and they'll tell me, yeah, 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 the poetry, but I just skip past that. I skip past it. Um, and that's, that's a lot of people. And there's, I know a lot of people who have read and loved the Middle Earth narratives, but have they read any of the early fairy poetry? Have you read Bimble Bay or Fasty Tokalon or any of those which are such great poems. Um, so for so many people, it will be really an introduction to an aspect of Tolkien's writing that they really haven't engaged with before. Even if they're aware of it, they haven't really engaged with it. Um, and why should we, you know? Go on, Sparrow. I have, I have a question that just came in the question box. Mm -hmm. Of course, Tolkien had these other poems, but in the Lord of the Rings, why should we spend time on the poetry in the story when 
we just want to get on with the story. Yeah, that is a really good question. And it's one of the reasons why people skip over the poems. They want to get on with the narrative. What, what they're missing if they do that is the beauty of the language. Bear with me a second. Ah, like gold fall the leaves in the wind, long years numberless as the wings of trees. The years have passed like swift draughts of the sweet mead in lofty halls beyond the west, beneath the blue vaults of Varda, wherein the stars tremble in the song of her voice, holy and queenly. Who now shall refill the cup for me? For now the kindler, Varda, the queen of the stars from Mount Everwhite has uplifted her hands like clouds, and all paths are drowned deep in shadow, and out of a grey country darkness lies on the foaming waves between us, and, and mist covers the jewels of Calakiria forever. Now lost, lost to those from the east is Valimar. Farewell, maybe thou shalt find Valimar, maybe even thou shalt find it. Farewell. Nmarie. I read that poem at my father's funeral. It's beautiful. It's stunning. The lyricality of the language, if it doesn't grip you by the heart and shake you, then you're a robot, frankly. Um, the beauty of Tolkien's language is that even in the narrative, there is poetry. There is this absolute lyricality to the way in which he writes. And if you skip over the poetry, you miss so much of the emotion. Yeah, here you can read Galadriel is bidding them farewell. Off you pop, fellowship. Have fun. Good luck. But you're missing the emotion behind it. This is an elf who has lived in Middle-earth for thousands of years. She has experienced loss like we have never imagined. She has seen it and lived it all. And at this moment, she truly believes that she has lost Valinor, that she will never regain it. She will never see that again. And yet she is doing her best to farewell others who may yet bring some light to the world. You miss that if you don't read the poetry. And then, of course, there's the joy of the, the Hobbit poetry. You know, even where Sam is declaiming <laughs> some poetry in Lothlorien when he thinks that, that Gandalf is dead and he, he gives his little poem about the fireworks and it's all just so much more uplifting. It's all emotion embedded in the text. And that's why. It is so worth looking at Tolkien's poetry. You've missed so much if you don't. Fantastic. We have a comment that just came in that uh, from someone who just recently took Tolkien and tradition, mm. in which the power and significance of Tolkien's poetry is lifted up. And it sounds like someone who's very excited to be in the focused on poetry course. So, yay. And that was Dr. Brown making me cry across an entire ocean. Thank you. Sparrow oh, has brought the day the world may continue spinning. Okay, good, good. Oh my goodness. Okay. Okay. 
Team Classical Myths and Legends, tell me what you are excited for. Larry, what's your favorite thing in this course? All of it. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, you know, that's that's the easy answer, but I, I, I love this material. Uh, and, and so, you know, being able to teach it uh, always excites me. Uh, and so, you know, as soon as you say, uh, I say that, oh, Hesiod's Theogony is my favorite. And then we pick up the Iliad. And, oh, no, that's my favorite. Um, and so on and so forth. So how can, how can you pick just one and say that this is it? You, you, just, you just can't. Got it. Got it. Uh, um, Gabriel Shank, is there something you're particularly eagerly looking forward to in this course? Yeah, well, sorry to sound like a parrot, but yeah, all of it. Um, I mean, in particular, I suppose um, I always look forward to hearing what the students have to say and what how they read it. Um, and I think particularly with with this uh, these texts, I mean, I, um, I yeah, like uh, Professor Swain, I, I love these texts and and they're so vivid. Um, so um, we get so much out of them. Uh, I mean, when your origin story is involves cutting off the the scrotum of, of a god and throwing them into water and stuff, you know, it's it, it, just so much to get out of of that, uh, <laughs> and then everything in Homer and everything else, and and so I can't wait to get stuck in um, and revisit these texts and hear from people what they're getting out of it as well. Um, uh, it's something I think about a lot is is um, that Tennysonian question why. Uh, remodel models. Why go back to the past? Um, this is a question that Tennyson posed in his Arthurian epic, Idols of the King, which himself, he, he himself was going back to classical traditions, and hence why he calls it Idols of the King. Um, he, he describes the Arthurian legend as having Homeric echoes, because it's all one kind of um, wonderful thing, you know, the kind of the, the myth and the legends uh, tradition. Um, we don't believe that the gods live in Mount Olympus anymore. Most of us don't. Um, it, therefore, is there any point in reading stories about them? Of course there is. Uh, we get so much out of these texts. These are living texts. They were written a long time ago, but they're alive today and will be with us in the future as well. Uh, so really, really looking forward to um, hearing um, Professor Swain's lectures. He's an incredible speaker uh, and reading all the essays uh, that students are writing and all their comments in the discussion boards and in the preceptive sessions. Can't wait. Fantastic. We have one person in the audience today who says she already took and loved that course, but she is still not fond of Achilles. <laughs> and um, um, I'll ask you, Larry Swain, what can it, it from Kira Tregoning, what can we expect for assignments in the myths course? Yeah, for me, it's kind of divided into three. One is uh, regular reading and uh, engagement with the text. And so the preceptor sessions will be hopefully a lot of discussion, very little of me and, and a whole lot of the students uh, thinking about and reacting to and, and considering the text that we're reading. Uh, and then uh, uh, there's, is going to be a main paper, a research paper. Uh, and then the, the third one is a project, uh, and that is pretty much open to the students to design. It can be more on the academic side if, if that's what their personality and choices are, but it can be something entirely creative. And so 
you know, I've had students write short stories. I've had students students make uh, uh, online games uh, out of the the text that we've been reading. So, you know, they discuss with me and make sure that it's related to the material that we're that we're dealing with, and and that's it. So those three things: engagement with the text, uh, reading the paper, uh, and then the project. Fantastic. Oh, and a question for Professor Gehring from Matt Muller. Um, a, and he asks, would Professor Nelson be so kind as to teach us how to hurl old English insults at our foes? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think probably the worst insult you could do would be uh, to our town. Um, you're a coward. <laughs> um, that's the, uh, you know, someone who runs away. Uh, perhaps perhaps this could be an entire thread on your discussion board but uh, if, you, if you want to, if you want to know the, the full vocabulary come and come, come and uh, uh, join us in the preceptor sessions and we can uh, talk about this <laughs> to our content. No, I, I, anyone's actually done a collection of old English insults that you know, sounds it, like an assignment verbs like you know mm. the Beowulf and stuff, but but I don't know that anyone's actually done done insults. That would be that would be an interesting study. That could be. <laughs> that sounds like a very. Go ahead, No, I just say I'd love to learn some. I need to expand my vocabulary in that way. You know, Nelson, we could take we could take the insults of the sagas and translate them into. Old. Okay, so we've got lots of old Norse to 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 work from, but we've we've got some. You know, even even without the the dirty words, you know, we'll be reading the Battle of Malden in the class, and that has that has a little bit of nice shade uh, oh. being tossed around as the as the uh, uh, <laughs> East Anglians and the Vikings are facing off and shouting at each other across the water. Amazing. Um. Okay. Okay. You heard it here. This is how program development happens at Signum University. Yes. And here's another one. I just got a great question from Jennifer Ewing, and I'm gonna I'm gonna ask Amy Sturgis. Do you imagine, Dr. Sturgis, will Signum ever offer a course on or incorporating Babylon Five? I would love to see that happen. So I would absolutely not rule that out. Um, I know we will be talking about Babylon 5 to a degree uh, when we are talking about uh, Star Trek and particularly Deep Space Nine, but uh, I would love to see Babylon 5 become a course. So um, <clears throat> note to self, just, just making a little note here. Um, okay. It's really good to know that there is student interest. So thank you very much. Like that to happen. There we'll talk, Amy. We'll talk. Absolutely. Oh, and I see that particular student say that she happens to own all of the scripts. Oh, wow. Which looks like a resource. Amy, if you want me to put names together, your two names together, I will be happy to do that. All right. Thank you. There is one more question for everyone. And then a very difficult question for Amy Sturgis. So I'm going to give you the difficult question now so that you can be percolating. Okay, which good. Is, Thank you. Which is, 
what are your favorite Star Trek episodes? But instead of all of them, do you have one or two or three favorites? So percolate that okay. while, right? <laughs> while we all answer this, and I'll ask Sarah Brown to begin. If you had the time, Mm -hmm. Which of the other courses would you want to take this semester? Well, actually, I know exactly which course I would love to take this semester, and that is the Intro to Old English. Um, part of my work at Signum is uh, working on Signum Path, and one of the courses that I do for Signum Path is the Nuts and Bolts Basics of Writing, in which we look at things like grammar and spelling and why English is so messed up. Um, and I actually do a couple of lectures on the history of the English language and why English is so messed up. And so actually, I would love to take this course because that's, that's something that would be absolutely wonderful for me. I would enjoy the heck out of that as a total and unapologetic grammar nerd. I think I'd love it. Excellent. Excellent. Um, Jess O'Brien, which course would you sign up for in all your copious spare time? Honestly, I don't, I don't know that I could choose. I'm very excited about all of them after hearing this. Um, I would like to sign up for all of them. I, they all sound like they're reading great material. The discussions are going to be engaging. You have knowledgeable instructors and preceptors. So honestly, I, I couldn't pick. I would throw a dart and be happy whatever class I ended up in. Excellent. Excellent. Good to hear. Larry Swain, how about you? Well, that's that's tough. Uh, I've already taught the old English course, so I wouldn't take that one. Uh, nothing personal. <laughs> um, but of the other, that's a tough, tough choice. But I would probably have to go um, with with Star Trek. You know, I've been I've been a Star Trek fan for 50 plus years, seen every episode multiple times, every movie. Including the animated series, I've got those practically memorized. <laughs> uh, and you know, I'm loving the new stuff that's come out, the Picard and Discovery and and Below Decks, uh, or Lower Decks, excuse me, get the title right. So yeah, I would I would so take the Star Trek course, and I and I might actually. So watch out, Amy. <laughs> oh right, fantastic, <laughs> excellent, excellent. Okay, Nelson, you're next on my screen. Which course do you want to take? Uh, this is this is this is a pretty tough choice. Um, I mean, I think when, when if I had to if I had to pick one if I had to pick one I'd probably go for the for the for the classical this um, class because um, I just I, I mean I've I've always loved those stories and it would just be uh, amazing to have the chance to uh, read them talk about them with other people who are enthusiastic and uh, and 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 hear from people who who really know uh, everything there is to know about them. Fantastic. And how about you, Gabriel Schenk? Uh, well, in my mind, there are three expansive science fiction universes, and I'm sure this is going to be controversial with all the Blake uh, 7 and um, Babylon 5 fans. Um, but in my mind, there are three. There's uh, Star Wars, Doctor Who, and Star Trek, in terms of the ones that span decades and span different media and mediums and formats and so on. I know Doctor Who extremely well, and I have a good sense of Star, Star Wars. I've seen enough of that. I haven't read the books. There's a lot I don't know, but I have a sense of it. Star Trek is, to coin what I assume is an original phrase, 
the final frontier for me. Um, I have seen, a, I really enjoyed Star Trek Discovery and it was a discovery for me. And I've seen bits of the original series and bits of Enterprise, but I haven't really seen anything else apart from the mo most recent film. There's so much I don't know. Haven't read any of the books, um, even though I've, I'm told they're really fantastic. There's some incredible writers um, like uh, Una McCormack, who, who's, who's going to be uh, part of the, uh, the, the, seri uh, the, the course as well, I think. Um, so there's, there's just so much I don't know. Um, I have a vague sense that the original series was doing something incredible with racial diversity, with a whole approach to, uh, to sci-fi where it was emphasizing science and exploration, but I don't really know how to place that in the history of sci-fi uh, or the 60s. So there's so much I don't know, but I'm, I would love to find out more. And apart from anything else, if something's been around for decades and is as popular as Star Trek, I always think it's worth studying for that reason alone, just to try and understand it and, and answer that question, why? Why, it's not quite why remodel models, why model new models or something, or why, why have we modeled this model? Um, I think these are always good questions to ask uh, about uh, cultural phenomena and find answers to. So um, mm -hmm. yeah, that would be my choice, but um, amazing uh, list of courses as always. Amazing, aren't they, aren't they? Finally, Amy Sturgis, which course would you want to take in all your spare time? And then that <laughs> kicker question. Uh, well, the I, I follow what um, uh, Jessica O'Brien said. Uh, I, I could it was, it's a win-win-win scenario. So, uh, so I, I can't see uh, a poor choice. I will say that. Um, that uh, Sarah Brown really did uh, get me with her reading there. And if if uh, I could be promised more Brown readings of Tolkien's poetry, I would I would probably end up going there just because. Wow, what what a beautiful reading! Um, but but all of these are fascinating, and uh, I envy uh, the the students and auditors who get to be at at each of those classes. Absolutely. You know, and I'm gonna can you name a little plug if if I may. But Go Star Trek is is the original series is what got me interested in classical myths because of all the references uh, mm -hmm. and stuff. Uh, so you know, there's a, there's a plug in there. And when you get to Tartan, uh, the next generation, you've got all sorts of Germanic myth and legend stuff going on in there too. So you know, win win win. <laughs> well done, well done. Alrighty. Dr. Sturgis, do you have one or two favorite episodes in the whole franchise? Uh, uh, that's it's really hard for me to pick a series. Um, so I'm going to go rapid fire if I'm well. Let me let me start and say uh, the the episode that is unsung, I think, by many, uh, written actually by uh, a fascinating story of how the woman who wrote the the episode actually got the the episode uh, made and and seen through to its fruition. Uh, the original series um, episode, The Empath, uh, which is, does a beautiful job of setting up why that original triumvirate of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy uh, represent three aspects of humanity that make humanity what it is, what it can be, what it can inspire to. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I think before Next Generation put humanity on trial, 
the impact put humanity on trial. And you got not only this, this big idea story of uh, the values that are most important in our species, but you also had a very intimate story about why these three men became a team uh, that, that, you know, made history. And so it's, it's a beautiful story about friendship and willingness to sacrifice and also a, a great story about the values of humanity that we should foster. Um, but I, I'll, I'll give you, if, if, if I may indulge here, um, I'll try, I just made notes to myself. Um, if you ask me tomorrow, you will get different answers. But I would say from the animated series, How Sharper Than a Serpent's Tooth, uh, a, a story written by an, a native author, on a native subject and uh, one of the first uh, works to actually get uh, Emmy uh, credit for uh, for Star Trek. Um, the Next Generation Darmok, uh, mm -hmm. Language with Metaphor, love that episode. Um, so many Deep Space Nine episodes. I, I, I think I'd, right now I'll say The Visitor, um, a beautiful story about uh, a father and son and love that's, that endures beyond human life. Um, for, uh, for Voyager, I think uh, The Year of Hell, the two-part series, is just absolutely chef's kiss for, for uh, Star Trek storytelling. Enterprise, Twilight, a beautiful story about a future that didn't happen but could have happened um, or did and now hasn't. Uh, however you want to look at one of those tiny-wimey episodes. But again, it's a, a big idea uh, episode that's also about uh, about relationships of individuals. So it works on a character level and a big idea level. Uh, Discovery, I, I think Forget Me Not is a really beautiful episode uh, about uh, identity and about choice and about acceptance. So I'll just throw those out. Uh, but again, tomorrow I will I will give you a different answer. So don't hold me to any of those. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm not counting the card because it's hard. It's such a, a such a carefully joined uh, sort of mini series that the episodes all sort of work uh, work to a whole. And uh, and lower decks uh, the the very first uh, episode, a second contact, really sets the sets the tone for the whole thing. So there's my my ridiculously long answer. I hope that works. <laughs> Once again, Sparrow is crying, so you know it was a spot on answer. We've got students speaking up for Doctor Who being incorporated into a course. We've got um, students just saying, what a wonderful, wonderful answer to remind us that whether we're going to be studying 3,000 years in the past or 3,000 years in the future. It's all about what makes us human, mm -hmm. which might bring us right back to where we began. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you most especially for teaching us with such generous and open hearts. We are excited for the summer. Thank you for joining me today. Folks who are in the audience, I'm really grateful for your questions. Thank you. Uh, we've got thank yous coming in. Ooh, and yes, more thank yous. You guys are amazing. Are we ready for summer? Yep. Lift yes. your cup to Tasha Yar and engage. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much, everyone. Have a great thank summer. You.
Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Yeah, hello. Hello. <laughs>